Welcome to Ease, the entertainment and showbiz experiences podcast. It's all things entertainment based, how to get into it and how to develop it into something once you are ready to move on. All the information people didn't tell you, forgot to tell you, or were too busy to tell you, all told through personal experiences. Welcome back to Ease Podcast. I'm so excited to share with you my next guest, Dr. Joy Siegel. We sit down to discuss how she's improving aging and the health and wellness of the people she serves. We also discuss why art is important in this process and in your everyday life. We have a fascinating discussion on how she started her own radio show. She also lets us know which presidents she's interviewed along the way. We take a look at what helped her get through the pandemic, and we discuss our resolutions for 2021. I'm so honored to have shared this time with Dr. Joy Siegel. Please enjoy this week's one-on-one with my friend, Dr. Joy Siegel. How's it going, Joy? Welcome to the program. Thanks, TJ. I'm so grateful you invited me. I've watched you, your, your work and your connections on Facebook Live, and this is such a treat. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, tell everybody who you are. And if I've been asking people, if you had a bio line like on Instagram for your life, what would it say? Um, so I'm Joy Siegel. And I truly am committed to making the world a little bit better than before I got my hands all over it. <laughs> and, and I think um, this is why uh, I wanted to have you on because your uh, connection to people and your love for the art is it's so incredible. And I was like, I got to have her on to discuss how you got into it and how you got to where you're at right now in your life. So tell us a little bit about uh, Young Joy. So it's so funny you say about my art, because like, I don't see myself as a creative or artistic person. But I took this personality test recently. And Uh my attribute that was strongest was creativity. And I realized that I, it was probably accurate because I always thought that creativity pertained to like people who could make beautiful things like the wall you have and the movement you do. And, um, and the creative things that I do are more like programmatic, right? Mm -hmm. And they're more about outcomes as opposed to, and processes as opposed to, um, a visual experience of beauty. Does that make sense? Yeah, because so, cre- creativity has multiple forms. It's not just a visual. There's there's people that are uberly creative on a technical level. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, so you asked how I got where I am. And I think that like one of the greatest gifts I ever received from my parents when I was growing up was the awareness that we always had to be a part of a community and give back to people. Hmm. And so I've been really, really lucky that I have this career that is um, challenging and zany and fun. And frankly, it's something that I would do if if I was in a position to volunteer, I would do the same work. And so um, that's part of it. The other reason I got into the work that I do, which is I work in healthcare. And I work primarily with older people and uh, my area of expertise is in the actual act of aging, right? And so Mm -hmm. my mother got sick when she was 59. She got Parkinson's disease and my father had had his first heart attack when he was 52. So my truth is that my young adult years were shaped by sickness Mm -hmm. and that was really, really hard. And lots of it was pretty sad. And I spent a lot of time being a caregiver. And then I, when I had taken enough, right, I was ready to ask for help. And when mm-hmm. I started to open my eyes to help and community, I realized that there were opportunities to get support and find solutions um, to make it illness a little bit easier to manage. Because I started to learn that like, not everything is logical. Like it makes no sense, some diseases. And um, and so like when my mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I wanted to cure Parkinson's. It wasn't like I wanted to help symptoms or, you know, be a good caregiver. I was going to go straight to raise in tons of money and cure it. 
and um, and sometimes you have to find acceptance and or you miss the present. That was where a long you, answer. Where did you grow up? So I live, I grew up in, uh, I was born in Ohio, but my, we just lived there for a few months. I was raised in Boston. Then I lived in New Jersey and then I went to middle school in South Florida. And then I graduated high school and went to University of Florida. And then I moved back to Boston, then to California, and then came back to Florida. So of all the, of all those travels, where do you find your, where did you find that you loved the most? Because they're quite different places. Yeah, I was determined to live on both coasts before I came back here. Um, I love the most probably California, but I love Boston, but I don't think I could live there. It's just too cold. Something you were talking about was asking for help. When was the first time you can remember actually doing it? Because this is something that I struggle with a lot as well. So I am... I. Can I tell you a story I might have already shared with you at some point? Yeah. I am. Um, okay. So I was, I remember the day, um, and like, and when I do share the story, it's almost verbatim. I was wearing my power suit and um, I was driving and I was going to an appointment in Aventura and my parents called me, they were at the hospital. And that happened a lot. And um, it was like 10 years into my mom's illness. And I was heading from Aventura to an appointment at the Broward Outreach Center. Mm -hmm. One of my mentors, his name was Alan, was there. He was executive director. And I remember calling him and saying, I, I can't come to our meeting. Um, and then like breaking down and crying. And uh, and say, and he knew all about my challenges as a caregiver, as a parent. As a self-employed person, we're very, very good friends. Um, and to this day, he, he's an important person in my life. So he said to me that you need to hire somebody. And I was like, my parents are never going to go for it. And um, he said, well, we have this woman here. Her name was Kathleen. She's been here for two years. And um, she, back then at Broward Outreach Center, uh, women especially could stay there for an extended period of time if they were working or going to school and stuff like that. And, um, and this woman had happened to have lived in the tents in downtown Fort Lauderdale for many, many years. And she was an alcoholic and a homeless person. And she ended up getting arrested when they shut down Tent City in Fort Lauderdale. And she became very committed to a life of sobriety and learned, took a class to become a home health aide and had just graduated and was looking for a job. And so Alan told me about this woman and I said, would you let her take care of your mother? And he said, absolutely. I said, is she there? And he said, yes. And I said, I'm coming to interview her. Without telling my parents, I went straight to Broward Outreach Center. I met with Kathleen. She was looking to become a caregiver for a family that she'd stay in the house with. She wanted to take care of an older person. And, and my mother wasn't even that old at the time. She was probably maybe 68, um, I think. Anyway, so I went to go um, to meet Kathleen. I hired her without telling my parents. And then like a week, I mean, of course I needed my parents to believe in this and thank God they did. And Kathleen moved in with my parents and was there for three years and was the first full-time caregiver that helped us take care of my mom. And it was extraordinary. So that was probably one of the first times I, I like just said, I can't fix this. Yeah. Can't do it alone. Have you, have you always lived, it sounds like it's such a spontaneous thing, you know, you ask for help and somebody came through and you spontaneously just go and, and interview and it turned out great. Have you always lived that kind of spontaneous lifestyle? So I'm, I'm a structured person. I like to have things to do yeah. and I, I am, I think I'm a control freak and a planner, but I've realized I have like big decisions in my life. Like the most recent one is um, five weeks ago, I got a dog. Like, yeah, I didn't expect to get a dog. In fact, if you'd asked me that morning, would you get a dog? And I would be like, I don't want anything that breathes. Yeah. Um, but I got it 
Yeah, I have to say there have been very big decisions I've made where it just felt right and I went with my gut. And thank goodness it typically works out, except for in marriage. I'm not very good at picking husbands, <laughs> although, you know, I'm grateful for my children. Let me just say that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. So you grew up so many places. You're back in Miami and you said you went to the University of Florida. Correct? Yep, for undergraduate. I went to UF. What did you what did you study at UF? English. English. I was a terrible student. So I went when I went to college, I I don't even know how I got into University of Florida. Um, I thought I was really dumb. I went to a high school where everybody was super smart. I yeah. thought they were smarter than me. I didn't particularly have any talents. And everybody measured success mm. on SATs as not a good test taker. And so I, um, when I went to University of Florida, I had no clue about how to study. And I don't know how this happened, but it's the truth. I graduated high school without ever taking anything but a basic math class. Oh. And yeah, yeah. So I got to college and I was terrified of numbers. So I looked for a major where you could get into the college because you know, under your first two years, you take mm -hmm. all your electives and you try to figure out what you're doing. And then I looked at where I would have to take the least amount of math. It was really limiting. But by the time I had to pick a major, I didn't have many choices because my GPA was super low. Mm -hmm. And um, and I never talked about this until my children applied to college. And then I found my college transcripts with my GPA and I showed it to my kids. And by this time I had finished a PhD yeah. and I, yeah. And like, it was pretty rewarding to realize how far I'd come. So yeah, I, I graduated with like maybe a 2.03 and it took me three times to take math, which is one of the reasons my GPA was so low. Mm. I couldn't pass it. It just didn't have the skills and I was terrified. So you mentioned, your, you mentioned your PhD. So you're going to undergrad for English. So you go to graduate school for what? So I went, what happened was I went to graduate school, I went to undergrad, got a degree in English because the, the choices were not plentiful. But when I was in school, I worked at the University of Florida for the Alumni Association. Oh, yeah. I was one of those people that made phone calls. Mm -hmm. But what, what ended up happening is by the time I graduated, I'd raised like over $300,000 working part-time. And they offered me a full-time job to stay there. And I remember getting, I got like this thank you and an award from, I, I was, had raised the most amount of any student worker. So the president of UF gave me this award. I'd never gotten an award before, but he pulled me into his office and said, what's up with the transcripts? And he asked me, called me out and I was so embarrassed. And I was like, I'm gonna go to graduate school. And he was like, that chance. He didn't say that, but that was how I felt. But he offered me a job. I didn't want to stay in Gainesville. But what that did for me was it told me that I perhaps could be, I had, a, I always felt that my future was okay. Mm -hmm. um, and that, but I didn't realize that being, doing fundraising was a job. Yes. Yeah. So even when I had done it, so he offered me a job. I left Gainesville. I realized how messed up my GPA was. And I started to try to figure out how I could go to graduate school and undo mm -hmm. what I had missed out on in, under, in, in my bachelor's degree. So like the good thing was I got amazing job experience and I made so many friends and I fell in love and, and I became independent and I traveled. Like my weekends, I used to get in the car and drive wherever I wanted. Um, it was really, really amazing. And then, um, I had to figure out how to get a degree that was meaningful. So yeah, I was able to do it. I figured it out. So you, what was your figuring out? What did you wind up going to graduate school for? So what ended up happening was 
I moved to Boston and I got a job at a bank with a man in a, like a management training program. And I thought I'd be a broker, but at the end of the program, I saw a job ad for fundraising. And I was like, that's so much better than working at a bank. So I got the job doing fundraising. And because I had all this experience on the phones and knew how to talk to people, I, I loved it. So, and I didn't make a lot of money. I had to waitress. Um, so I would waitress Tuesday and Thursdays and Sundays, and I worked a nine to five job. And I started to research how to go to graduate school and what, what I could do, how I could pay for it, looking at different programs. And um, it's kind of a crazy story how I ended up finding a school. I thought I'd apply for film school. So I knew some of the programs you could take some classes and go cut non-matriculating. And, you know, and so I saved money to pay to go take a couple of classes. Well, I ended up moving to California and there's a small school in Los Angeles that um, my parents wanted to visit. They had made a do little donation. They wanted to go see the school and I wanted no part of it, but I, want, I was with my parents. So I decided I'll go with them. So we went to see this school and my father had graduated from a school called the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. And this was the West Coast branch. And it, at the time it was called the University of Judaism. And um, so I stayed in the car for like, I don't know, uh, two hours. I, it feels like it was two hours, but I had to go to the, the bathroom. So I decided to go in the building and wait for them. And they walked into the building and I, it is the most spectacular building I've ever been in in my entire life. And the sun was setting and it's on the top of Mulholland Drive. Do you oh, know that area yeah, uh -huh. over the 405? Yeah. And it was just spectacular. And on the floor, when I opened up the door, was a brochure for an MBA program that was, a, you could have a specialty in fundraising. And oh. I swear, right? Crazy. So I have a bunch of stories like that with my career. So I picked it up and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go to graduate school here. And I called up, it was super small. And I called up the, and that's what I needed was a super small program where they cared about people. Yeah. And I called up the director of the program and I told him my story and he would let me go for a year. I had to take three classes and pay cash. And um, if I got A's in all of them, they would approve my going there. And huh. that's how I got to graduate school. So you went to graduate school in California for fundraising? An MBA. I got a master's in business and nonprofit management. And the, so the degree is from there. We took classes at UCLA too. Oh. And but super cool thing was the school is highly regarded as like a... Um, think tank for nonprofits throughout the country. And um, I had a professor who was a consultant at one of the big accounting firms. And I wanted to work for one of the big accounting firms. I have no idea where I got this idea, but I knew that they didn't have experts in nonprofit. So I started to apply it back then. There were eight of them, I think. I started to write letters to work at one of them. And um, nobody answered. And that made sense. My undergraduate degree was in English. And here I'm getting an MBA in nonprofit management. Well, I was working at the school um, on a project. And one of my professors asked me to fax something. Remember fax machines? Yeah. And, I, and it was going to one of the big accounting firms. And I said, that's how I found out he was a consultant with them. And I said, listen, if they ever say anything to you that they're looking for somebody who has a degree in English and an MBA in nonprofit management, but they're super willing to work their way up. Will you remember me? And we both laughed. And a year later, he called me up and he goes, you're not even going to believe this, <laughs> but they're looking to hire somebody. It was a tax manager in the nonprofit division. And they wanted somebody with a liberal arts background and an MBA in nonprofit management. So it gets even better, TJ. Wait, this is such a circle of life story. At the end of the first year, I had to take the CPA exam. <gasps> and I oh, took 
part of it and passed. And I took the part I had to take, I passed it. And then about two months after my first year, I came to Florida. So like that, I've gotten so much mileage out of that one year experience. It changed, it was a game changer. Wow. Yeah. So you ran away from numbers only to work at a bank and work as a tax accountant. A really bad one, but a tax accountant. <laughs> a tax accountant for a nonprofit. Uh -huh. Wow. And then then what makes you decide you need to you want to get your doctorate? So I didn't get my doctorate until uh, eight years ago. So okay. I always wanted to get it. So by the time I got my master's and I was like, oh, you know what? I can, I, I'm not so stupid. I want to go on. I want to get a PhD. I wanted to, like, it was just something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, it was not like, and both of my parents had graduate degrees. It was not like anybody ever said to me, um, you got to get a PhD. I just wanted to, and I didn't know what I wanted to get it in. Um, but I knew I was going to do something in leadership. I, I don't know, but what happened was, um, I decided when I was ready and it was like in the 2006, 2007, I was my kids, I was working at my house. Oh, I decided I found a program at Nova in organizational leadership and it sounded like a really good way to grow my business and meet more organizations. So it tied, it helped me, I thought it would help me grow my business, make more money, you know, and I always thought I'm gonna have to work till I die so I could teach, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I got in at Nova and then what happened was in my, probably not my first semester, but my second semester, I took a class in aging um, huh. and they had a gerontology specialty and I fell in love with the studies and the teacher. So this was around the same time, the professor that was the chair of that program. And this was about the same time I was starting to look for help with my mother. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, if I learn this stuff, I can help people that are going through what my family and I went through. Like by this time I knew I wasn't gonna, I wasn't like relenting to finding a cure for Parkinson's. I was trying to survive with Parkinson's, you know, with mm -hmm. a loved one with Parkinson's. So I felt like if I studied that, then I could make the world a better place and help people. And so that was why I shifted to gerontology and I got to work on all these amazing projects for free. Mm -hmm. and um, meet tons of people and expand my circle. And um, it was awesome. It, was, it changed my life. And yeah. that was how I ended up doing it. That's a, that's and now a, I teach there. Now you teach there, the place that you learn from. The craziest thing is I teach at a medical school. I teach doctor, I teach medical students. Like I just find that wild. Do you ever feel like, um, I sometimes I do this too. I, I teach teachers sometimes, and I think, gosh, I'm a phony. They're gonna know that I'm a phony, and I do. I, me out. I feel like a fraud. Yesterday, um, for in seven in the morning till nine in the morning, I did a webinar for um, physicians, and I'm like thinking, you know, we all admire physicians. Well, not so much anymore, but I, I, we, we, we need them, right? And we need them to be really good. And, and I do admire them, but now I'm teaching them yeah. and it's weird. It's like really weird. I had to, last year I wrote um, some classes for the state and for a couple of other states on, I wrote this coursework on working with Alzheimer's patients mm -hmm. and I was like, this is so cool. Like, and it's not what it's, it doesn't have my name on it. I mean, I'm a co-author and I'm a cited author on it, but like, it was my stuff is helping professionals help people with dementia. Mm -hmm. that, that's wild. Like, that's a blessing. That it's incredible. And you are helping uh, doctors do that, but you also help serving people of, 
senior citizens as well and and, and mm-hmm. um, kind of offering them your knowledge as well but you also kind of infuse it in this really artistic fashion when did you find that link for yourself about entertainment when did that become like a big thing for you so I have gotten into entertainment off the back of one of my best friends so when we graduated college one of my best friends got a job at the local theater here and she still works there so I've always been that tag along that plus one that goes through the back can I just share a really neat art story that correlates like it reminds me that I'm right where I'm supposed to be so for years, I would sneak in the back door of a theater. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was sneaking. They all knew I was there. But I was always, always like the plus one. And I felt so at home there. And there was a security guard that used to tell me to lower my voice. And then he'd laugh because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty loud. So he just was so nice to me. And, um, and I would probably see him once or twice a week when I would like, when the season was in, I was always going to the theater and I would buy tickets, but I got lots of comp tickets. It was just, I never said no. And I just loved it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the theater got bigger and the doors got locked and there was no more sneaking in the back door. And then there's the expectation that I could pay for my tickets too, which is fair, right? So life goes on and I end up leaving the world of fundraising and getting a job in healthcare. And I worked at a hospital and it was my first job in a hospital. It was a one-year program that was incredible. And um, I got lost in the parking lot and I was like, couldn't find my car because I'm one of those people that carries 15 things. I'm on the phone. I'm always in a rush and, and everything looks like, and I didn't pay attention. And I'm like almost in tears, right? Cause I have to get almost to tears before I ask for help for anything. (laughs) And a guy in a, in a golf cart who the security came over to me and it was the security guard from the back of the theater that used to let me sneak in. Oh, and it just was like, we, I, then I saw him and I burst into tears and I was like, you're my angel. So we were, so I got to work with him in a different capacity for you. Anyway, so as far as the arts go, when I was 14 years old, for my birthday, my parents gave me, starting through high school, every year I'd get season tickets for the Jackie Gleason Theater in Miami. They give yeah. me two tickets. Mm-hmm. And my first show loan was West Side Story, You'll Love This with Debbie Allen. Oh. And yeah. And so my parents dropped me off at the theater and I had a seat and it was in a mezzanine and it was a small row and they gave us candy. We go into the theater, we sit down and the usher said, you're very lucky. You're sitting next to Tennessee Williams. Your season tickets are next to his. The playwright Tennessee Williams. So I go and I sit down and he's there and he was with this very young man and they were quaffed and and I looked at him and I said, Mr. Williams, I loved your book, The Sun Also Rises, Mm -hmm. which was not written by Tennessee Williams. (laughs) And I realized it as I said it to him. And then I like offered him an M&M and he asked to move his season tickets. And he never sat with us again. No, oh no. Yeah. But so, yeah. so, so arts has been, been integrated in your life for since you were young. For a long time. Yeah. And then what happened was when I just went on to, I've always been able, been in love with the arts. I've always gone to theater wherever I am. I've always gone to concerts. But when I was working in nonprofit, I, I was stuck in New York City for 9-11. And every day I'd listen to this radio show. And I would walk and there was, it was so depressing. But then there was this radio show I'd listened to that would tell you you could go here for, um, to feed people, you can go here to donate blood. And, and I was like, we have to have something like that in Florida with all the, cause I knew all the charities in, in mm-hmm. our community. So anyway, I came back for, after 10 days and I forgot about the radio show and I, you know, whatever. In August of 2002, I was at a kid's birthday party 
and this woman and I were chit-chatting with Sunday and she had four kids. They were super young. And she said to me, I have to leave. I'm going to work. This is another one of these stories where the, you know, God spirit moments. And, um, and I, I said, how do you go to work on a Sunday with four kids? She said, well, I'm a radio show producer and I have a studio in my house. And I said, um, let me tell you about my idea. And I told her this idea about what I experienced in 9-11. And she was gracious. She didn't ignore me. She was very polite. And we would say goodbye. And I felt really dumb. Like I kind of fangirled her. And she called me three, asked our mutual friend for my phone number, called me three days later and said, my husband and I loved your, your idea. And we're going to help you. Oh. And yeah, and he was a pretty well-known radio personality. And he, in August, he worked with us and trained us to do a radio show. In November, we bought time to go on the air and it was called Good Work Radio. And so I had been working with entertainers to do fundraising events. Oh. So I knew agents and I had been involved with like book fairs. So I called the agents and said, I'm like, I made this radio show out to be the bomb. Mm -hmm. And I created this whole smoke and mirrors thing. And I said, you know, we'll do this for you for free. And we'll start, we'll interview it. We'll run your interview so that people will have it and you will get the word out. And it's no cost. And it worked. And then we started to get all the actors and all the musicians from the Broward Center, famous authors by the time. And then the best thing that happened was the first day we were on the air, we had, um, he's, he's since passed away, but Nick Bonaconti and his father, the father passed away. He was a quadriplegic. He played for the Miami Dolphins or University of Miami. Oh. And it was called the Cure Paralysis from Miami. We had him, my friend, Alan, who was ran the Broward Outreach Center. And then we had a third person. I don't remember who it was. We were on from two o'clock to two thirty on a Tuesday. No one heard us. No one. <laughs> I get in the car and my phone rings, and this guy said, "I heard you on the radio," and it was the chairman of the board of Office Depot. Oh! And he wow. gave us. He sponsored the program for two years, and what? we never looked back. And then we were able. Then we were, we were sponsored by Office Depot Foundation. And then after that, when that money ran out, we, I got hired by a whole bunch of radio stations, but the celebrities just kept on coming. So by the time I was done, I did interview the last five presidents that that's something people wouldn't know about me, including Trump. Because wow. he wrote a book when he went for Trump university and the art of the deal, I interviewed him. Nice. Um, yeah, I went to a party, a small dinner for Barack Obama when he was running for office. I interviewed the both Bushmen, George mm -hmm. Bush Sr. and Jr. with their sis with his the sister daughter. Yeah. On one phone call. And I interviewed Clinton and Hillary mm -hmm. and Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter. Wow. That's How cool is that? Off, yeah. of, off of this one idea that you just spawned and kind of told somebody else and kind of just got the ball rolling. It's crazy, right? That's awesome. That's a, I had no idea about, I know, I knew you'd worked in radio, but I didn't know the extent of what, you, yeah. what your show was. Mm -hmm. I remember inter interviewing the Moody Blues and yeah. they invited us backstage. I, I had to go buy a special equipment. When Dwayne Wade came to Miami, they did this whole article on tithing and how his pastor um, taught him about tithing. He wasn't raised by his father and the impact the pastor had on him. So I, and the pastor was in Chicago. So I called the pastor in Chicago. I got him. He hooked us up with an interview with the, in, I knew Eric Woolworth, who at the time, I don't know if he still works for the Heat, but he was the president of the Heat. And they let us interview him in the locker room, but I had, and I had, I had no portable equipment. And we interviewed Dwayne Wade a couple of times in there Good. about his tithing. Wow. That's really cool. That yeah. is so cool. That is something I definitely did not know about you before. That mm -hmm. is incredible that you've interviewed, I mean, the presence in general, but all those, the, the yeah. those people. Um, wow. And it feels like every time I, a new, a new, 
job or a new situation um, unfolds for you, it's like a new beginning. You really have kind of reinvented yourself over and over and over and over again. What gives you that motivation to keep doing new things? I don't know what gives me that motivation. I never thought about it, but I'm super driven and I'm willing to pay my dues. Okay. And, mm-hmm. um, and it used to be that I was willing to pay my dues because I thought I was kind of below average, right? I don't do it for that reason anymore. Um, there's just so much, it's constantly changing. Like if you had told me a couple of years ago that I'd work for a corporation, yeah. I, would, I would be like, ha, you know, and truly one of the main reasons I, got, I looked for a job, cause I, I've always worked on my own mm-hmm. since I was like 28. Um, I looked for a job because I was limited in areas. It was time to no longer be limited. Like I didn't know how to be on a team Sure. Mm-hmm. I I had been a one man show for so long that I missed out on a lot of good people's opinions. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when I became willing to um, learn things I didn't know, doors opened for me. And here's the kick is like, now I work in a corporate environment and I get to bring all of my resources with me. And there's a great appreciation for that. Like. Yeah. I can't, sometimes I pinch myself, you know, and it's not perfect, believe me. Um, But I have amazing leeway to do very innovative things. So the arts, I totally get that at the key to a healthy community and um, healthy aging. And if we're lucky, we're going to age and we are aging while we're talking. Mm-hmm. But if we're lucky, we'll reach an older age. And art is the color that brings us together. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's proven that it makes us healthier. And it's not even like a lot of things can make us um, survive different illnesses, right? And we've become pretty good at that in America um, with but if your quality of life isn't great, I don't, what's, you know, it, it's not that fun. And art can be that fun part, no matter what, right? Yeah, you can be course. super sick, you could be poor, you could be struggling, you could have a bad relationship and art is like a dose of goodness and it brings people together. Yeah, I'm reading this, uh, this book, it's called The World According to Mr. Rogers, Important Things to Remember. And it's all important, small little saying that he said on his show. And one of the things I'm paraphrasing in the book, but it says uh, the one language we all understand is music. We, at, a, at any age, you want to tap your feet or clap your hands, or you can watch a newborn baby bouncing up and down to the beat in, in, a, in a, you know, play thing. We all understand what music is and how it affects our life. And those, uh, those special people that do play music or are part of music um, have that ability to kind of share that with everybody and everybody understands and speaks that same language. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no interpreting that has to happen there. I mean, music is just the greatest thing. Yeah. It's, it just, it, it, you know, I work in a very boring state. It's, I mean, it's not boring to me, but it's not the most um, glamorous field in healthcare, yeah. right? I work for for an insurance provider, and you know, people often don't say nice things about insurance providers. Yeah, and um, and yet I can bring people together because they want to learn something, right? That about insurance plans, and then I can add music or a breathing exercise or movement, and it becomes a completely sweeter experience yeah. that improves your health and well-being it makes my job so much more fun I mean it's I don't do anything at my job that doesn't make my day better like that's- I totally grow and that's awesome yeah, yeah. and uh, the the testimonials behind all of what you're doing and what you're providing to these to these people that you're serving is is 
is so rewarding, you know, and you hear, you hear how people have, especially during the past year, it hasn't been easy for anybody, but I remember when we were gearing up in, you know, April discussing this, you, you were a proponent of seniors need this. They need to be part of something and we need to, we need to reach out to them and we need to, um, we need to provide something for them so they don't feel left out and lonely. Um, and then what, speaking of this past year, what new things have you found um, within you to do for people that you serve or for yourself? So like on a, I sometimes feel a little uncomfortable and guilty that my life has been okay, right? Right. I'm a world super small and um, it's not the most fun, but I've, I've had an incredible year of self-awareness and personal growth. And it's included helping others as a right. large part of it. Mm -hmm. So like one of the benefits is that my daughter graduated from college and she was never coming home. Right. But she's home and it's temporary. And it's not so much that she's home. It's that we have, I get to enjoy her. It's so different hanging out with her as a 23 year old than it was raising her. And sure. I'm still her parent. Um, but like, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I would want to be friends with her. So the, I never thought I'd have that kind of relationship with a child because remember, I come from a place that I share with you of sickness. Right. And sad, that comes with a lot of stress and mm -hmm. sadness. And um, it takes a long time before you can hold on to fond memories um, because the scarring is so deep, right? right. Mm -hmm. And so here I get to hang out with my child um, is awesome. So that's probably the best pandemic gift. The other yeah. thing is, well, even better than that is that, but it really it's because of her. I've never spent time improving my space Oh. So that I benefit. So because of her, I have painted, surrounded myself and not spent a lot of money, but I've surrounded myself by nice things. Yeah. Um, we've adopted animals. Yeah. That's been awesome. We've had two foster dogs and one mm -hmm. of them I kept and my dog died in COVID. And that was terrible because you can't even be with them. Right. Literally drop the dog off. Um, I feel, I don't know when I got so blessed that, cause it seems to me that so much of my life was really, really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And, um, and now when, I, when we know so many people are suffering, especially people in the arts yeah, and people in service industries, I've, I've not had to suffer in that same way. So I make sure I try to be a nice person. I, I don't know. I just am grateful almost every single day. So yeah, I, I don't think I've ever felt gratitude mm -hmm. for what's right in front of me. And I don't try to complicate it. Like, yeah. I don't know, but this is kind of funny. I, well, it's not really funny, but I'm going to, I think it's funny. I, not ha ha funny. So when I, when COVID first came and like, we felt so restricted, like this is sure. not fair, wah, 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 right? And it's not fair and it kind of sucks, but whatever. I bought a fanny pack that could hold um, a TV, not a TV, could hold a, it's very big though. It can hold two water bottles. It can hold a book. It can hold whatever you want in it, but it's kind of, um, vacationy yeah and not very pretty and so but i use it all the time and it's got my little money pack and my hand sanitizer and, and whatever so i i have a friend that's a food and wine editor and um i get to go to a lot of nice places mm -hmm. and they she invited me to this outdoor jazz brunch and it was kind of nice because I don't go to restaurants. I mean, I haven't been out. I, you know, I go to Publix and that's really it. And, um, and I got dressed up and I put makeup on and I go to this outdoor bougie tent 
and I were sitting at picnic tables and at social distance and I stand up to go to the restroom or whatever and I put on this fanny pack <laughs> and I go to take my wallet out and part of my COVID prep is, is that my money was in a Ziploc bag Yeah. and I would change it and I take my money out and my friends looking at me and my daughter's looking at me and they're like, you're all dressed up and you have your money in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> And you're carrying a hideous fanny pack. Yeah. Like, you know, you need to take better care of yourself. Yeah. And I realized like, and I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. But when it came to self-care, um, it, it, I can have a nicer thing than a Ziploc bag for my money. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't need to put, I know it sounds really trashy, right? So like, I got a wallet. I know it sounds, but like that was a big deal for me yeah. to spend money on something I didn't really need when I have a box of Ziploc bags, <laughs> but I understood that it was good for me yeah. to treat myself that way. Does that make sense or it just sounds like a crazy bad lady? No, no, you, that, that definitely makes sense. And you came into that aha moment where that self-care, you allowed yourself, you gave that, you gave yourself that permission to do it. And I- yeah. I remember talking to you about it and uh, you, you said, oh, you went to, um, or you, I painted my wall and I did, I was like burning candles. And one time I was on a webinar with you and you said, you just really like taking care of yourself, don't you? And I said, well, you know, we're kind of in this by ourselves and we're all kind of navigating how we can be by ourselves. And as much as I, I like being around people, I do like being by myself and I'm fine and I'm comfortable doing it. So it's just giving myself that little bit of, uh, that little bit of joy. If it's a candle, if it's a wallet, if, you know, even if it is plastic bag. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's that value. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And on yourself and just kind of rebuilding yeah. yourself because we've gone so long where it's just every single day was just running and going and doing something and kind of chipped away at that self care. And then you go and you try to, you know, you go and you spend hundreds of dollars on trying to get a massage. And then the next day you're, you're lugging 50 pounds of things upstairs. You're like, well, that just ruined everything that I did. Mm -hmm. So it's just finding mm -hmm. that acceptance in quarantine for all of that and taking a little break and meditating. And having the awareness to have the acceptance. Like I, I never did that for myself. Mm -hmm. I, I remember I had some really, really bad years and I didn't take care of myself sure. and I remember meeting this woman and she said and, and I didn't there was a period of time where I was just just so overwhelmed and yeah. um and I was working enough to pay my bills but I just wasn't the best version of me and you know life does that to you and I and this lady said to me that I knew she said you need a haircut and I was like, okay, I, I, I don't want to spend money on a haircut. I, I don't want to get a haircut. I don't want to take the time. And like, it wasn't like a simple answer, like, you know, but she said, let me cut your hair for you. She was a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I didn't know she was a hairdresser. She said, let me do this for you. And I was like, hell no. Yeah. And then I saw her again and she offered again. And it was in such a gentle way. And I said, okay. And I went to her house and she, she did my hair and I felt like a different person after. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, sometimes you gotta let people do your hair for you. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to be told you need your hair done. Um, and hopefully it's by somebody who has your best interest at my, you know, at heart. Yeah. But I've been really lucky that I've run into people who've um, changed my life throughout the years. Mm -hmm. um, she was one of them. Yeah. And I, I know you, and this is something that you always say, you had to, you have to put on your lipstick every single time because it's like your, your superpower or like mm -hmm. your cape. It's the small little things in, in quarantine that we're all having to kind of do to, you know, motivate ourselves to get through all of this. And you know, it was really hard to, I was, I was born with a birth defect. 
And I, I mentioned about the mirrors when you said things I don't like, like mm -hmm. I struggle um, having to look at myself. It sounds crazy to say it that way, but it's my truth. And so when we started working on Zoom, I never had the camera on to see me, right? Yeah. I, could, I would see everybody, they could see me. Um, and then I got a new boss who was like, when I see you, I want you all to see you. Know, everybody has to have their cameras on. And I remember like one day I saw myself and that's when I decided I'm gonna start wearing lipstick. If I gotta do this, I might as well get, and then, yeah, that wasn't so long ago. That, cause that was when, because my daughter got a job that um, she gets makeup samples and that's how I, yeah. That's a big deal for me because I was born with a craniofacial birth defect. Mm -hmm. So I've had lots of face surgeries. So to be able to like do anything that calls attention is like super healing for me. Yeah. It's and, and I mean, where you probably are on a daily basis on like with a camera on your face, you know? So it's just kind of this like, yeah. we all had to reinvent what we did how we did it no right what we wore how we communicated and all of those fashions but you also had in within quarantine you've had like a really great fitness journey as well mm -hmm. that's been like one of the best things ever yeah so, go for isn't it that crazy i i got um the i don't know when it was maybe in april and the Amazon Fire Stick had yeah. like for like an hour, 90 days free of the Peloton app. So I got it and I ended up using it. And then it was only $12.99 a month. So I kept doing it. And, and then what's awesome about it is there's like five minute class, 10 minute class, mm. 45 minute class, or you could put together a bunch of classes, which is what I normally do. And, um, and then I, I in the middle of all of this, I went for my physical, my my personal, see my annual exam. And my doctor and I were talking and he was reminding me that one of the biggest challenges of his patients is that they, they're not mobile, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't stretch and they're not able to carry things and how limiting that is. And I started to realize that I was, you know, near the age that my father had his first heart attack and I wanted to be able to carry my own groceries for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's just super important to me. So now like exercise is part of working at home. Yeah. And when you don't have to spend two hours in your car, there's no reason to not exercise. Yeah. So now I just started doing yoga. I haven't done yoga in years. And, um, and I started, do you do yoga? I do. I really like yoga. It's one of the things that I actually started in quarantine was a, a good friend of mine is a, is a very accomplished Pilates instructor and she's gotten her master certification with somebody that, that learned right under Joseph Pilates. So she's, mm -hmm. and she's really, really good at it. And so it so happened that she was in California, but because we've got this technology, we're able to still meet together and she wasn't doing very much of a, a zoom anything i said why don't you and i just meet on zoom and you could just teach me a class and that way you can get more comfortable with it but also you can um you we can you could teach me pilates virtually because i was her i was her uh, guinea pig when she was going through the certifications so i would go in and i i did math classes with her and i did the reformer and i did all these you know uh, prehistoric like torture chamber thing looking right uh-huh um so the i would tower. Do yeah the tower and the cadillac and some circle like there's uh -huh. I, you walk in there's like springs and and hand hand holds and it was it's, sometimes it's overwhelming to look at but i said hey listen let's just go back to math class teach me online i'd love to do it so i started getting back into pilates and she was all the way in california i was here she wasn't doing anything because they were on lockdown and she wasn't teaching very much online. So I was like, let's just do it. Why don't you just teach me twice a week, whatever we can, we can fit in. And it was, it was good for her. It was good for me because that was the point where all of us were kind of just sat at home doing mm -hmm. nothing, working from home and 
just trying to reconfigure our daily lives. Oh, thanks. That's something that I went in, that I did in. A, so in how is your Pilates now? Well, I, I kind of fell off the wagon. We both did. She moved to Chicago, so we kind of had to put it on pause. But uh, she just texted me today and said, uh, Sunday. I said, okay, perfect. Let's do it Sunday. So I'm going to start mm -hmm. the New Year's weekend with uh, back yeah. to Pilates and all those things. But, as long as I don't have any sugar in my house, I'm good. I, I'm the same exact way. I, I mean, you know, I, we did a, I did a conference with you and I made a sheet cake one day. And the very I next love day, that story. The very next day when I saw you, I had finished it. It was gone. I can relate. All by myself. I can. Trader Joe's makes this little vanilla cake. Yeah. It's little. I mean, it's like this big. Mm -hmm. And it says it's six servings. I, I think that's a typo. Um, <laughs> it's the most delicious sheet cake I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. I'm sure yours was equally good, but um, yeah. Mine was nostalgic. It was like box. So like childhood, it was very nostalgic mm -hmm. childhood. My mom used to make yeah. vanilla cake with chocolate frosting. And I thought it was the best thing ever. I still think it's the best thing ever. I know it's pretty comforting. Yeah. That's great. So I just want to say that you've been able to give me so much inspiration and the work that we've been able to do together has been so important because you've helped me prove my theory and my belief that um, art is important, yeah. survival, like the fact that you had to kind of reinvent yourself. I'm sure it's been really hard for you this year um, with the work that you do and having to be in one place, you know? Um, and I see how you're able to, um, motivate people that you yeah. don't even know and the people i've seen you motivate many of them have not still used a flip top phone <laughs> and and they love you yeah. and and you know i i know i told this to you a couple weeks ago one of the things that somebody said to me that was so powerful and it sounds so goofy to say it was so powerful but it was important was that when they get an invitation with our calendar with us when they see your picture on it they mark those dates down on their calendar and um and i was so glad you know like that's another inspiration from the pandemic Mm -hmm. There's a small but mighty group of us that have made these programs work, right? Yeah. So we've so one of the things like how we've met is we've designed virtual programs for older people. Mm -hmm. And truly, like I can come up with a concept, but implementation had nothing to do with me. <laughs> it was based on the relationships that we all were able to build together. Yeah. Because we believed in in serving people. Yeah. And that's awesome. Like, yeah. Not being afraid to do it either. It was was part of it, you know. Mm -hmm. even, even having you call me and say, hey, listen, I have this idea. And just not being afraid to just try it. If it failed, it failed. But if it didn't fail, we wouldn't have known if we didn't try it. So just yep. kind of going out there and doing it was important as well. It was so much fun. And then yesterday when when or when at our holiday party yeah. when you led us in the social dances and we were with 48 people doing the electric slide like who to thunk like yeah. if we said let's put together a party for people over 60 and do the electric slide people would stare at us and think we've lost our minds yeah but, this is part of this is something that i'm kind of figuring out when i'm doing these interviews is like if five years ago it, when somebody asked you what where do you want to be in five years from now nobody would have guessed like you said one of the things would be hosting a party for 150 rsvps saying they were going to come 16 over online and they all of them were going to were going to dance at no point would you even be able to get two of them online a year ago so much has changed and evolved and so much has just kind of happened without any fear. And we, if you feared going and doing, you 
you didn't do. You just didn't do and you didn't evolve for that. That's that's why we're going to do okay in 2021. Yeah. It's because we kept on going. And I think that, I mean, I, I don't know if you did this, but I, you know, pe- there are so many limitations, right? Yeah. But there are so much opportunity. So much. And yeah. I, I try... I think maybe once or twice I've had like a, what was me? Like, Oh, I had to cancel my plane flight, like a high class problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I don't get to see my kids as much as I'd like to, but overall, like we have to be adaptable, pivot and, um, and grateful and shut the F up because <laughs> it's so temporary. And like, I, we, it's so easy to get caught up in, yeah. In, and there's so much sadness. I, I got a call today about a friend's ex-husband who is a young guy. He he's dying from COVID. Yeah, you know it's real. Um, but we got to keep going, right? Yeah. So. There were so many. There were so many limitations, and every limitation had two or three creative possibilities. It was just trying to dig deep, find those creative possibilities and you know, go with them, you know, kind of make make 2020 what it was. And then, like like I said, in 2015, if somebody asked you five years from now, that completely changed. So with all the stuff that you learned in this past year, where do you see yourself in five years from now? Um, like my first thought is, I really want to have a lot of money. <laughs> A lot of money, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Probably. my truth. Yeah. I really, I, maybe, I would like to maybe write a book. Yeah. About what we're doing. Yeah. I would like to, I, want, I don't want to wait five years to travel. Um, but I want to um, continue to be on this mission to improve aging in the United States. And of course I want to do it without wrinkles. So I, I, we're such an anti-aging society and we're, we're totally ageist and we dehumanize old people and I'll be entering older age and, and every, if we're lucky, we all will. Right. Yeah. Um, I would like to be um, making a lot of money in five years and I want to do what I'm doing on a large on a meaningful way like I just want to have meaning I want to know my purpose I want to have to be tight with my kids I'd like to be in love yeah that's that's one of my goals for 2021 I have to say it out loud however goofy it sounds got to put it out in the universe and see what comes back right got to put it out right Mm mm-hmm that's awesome. And, yeah. All How about you? I think for me in five years from now, I decided I wanted to do a few things in quarantine that I'd never even considered. I wanted to write a series of kids books based on my, my nephew and the fun that we've had leading up to this point, but specifically in quarantine because he and my my sister and her family decided that they felt more comfortable with him staying at home because we have the family structure that's eight that allows him to have somebody there with him at school. So my aunt and my mom stay and they help him go through school. So he he didn't have to go back into um, into real school. He's been doing it virtually. So we've been having adventures throughout the uh, in the pandemic uh, safely, but it's kind of jostled around this idea of starting a, a kids book series and it's been That's kind of, interesting yeah and it's not anything that I've ever and adversely to you I liked numbers growing up but I did not like English I did not like writing I did not like any of it so it's something that kind of scares me and I don't have the answers on how to do it um, and I don't really know very many people that have written that have that have it kids books so it's hard to find you know people in my inner circle to do that so it's been this fun adventure just kind of researching and doing and that's amazing so that's my five year of course there's like I get these ideas of you know 
tech is now a big thing. So starting an app and doing all these other things. And it, without this, I really feel without this time to like stop, reevaluate, find out how I'm gonna rediscover myself. I wouldn't, I don't think I would have been here even in two or three years from now, these ideas would still be kind of stewing away without coming out. I, I think that this was a really good thing for me too. Yeah, I agree. It was a great thing for me too. And yeah, I, I feel comfortable. I, I like being around people and I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the company of people, but I'm really starting to enjoy the company of myself. I'm understanding that, that how rich that is. I agree with you. I agree. I, do you cook? Do you like to prepare meals? I do. I've had to, and I like to a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm really super obsessed I, with spring rolls for some reason. Spring rolls? Yeah, I make them every day. That's, well, you have to give me one next time I see you. I'll make some for sure. I'll make some. And I'll bring you some tempeh. That's my new obsession. Ah, okay. Well, that can go inside. It's perfect. Yeah, there you go. Dr. Joy, thank you so much. I appreciate having you on. It's been so inspiring, the things that you're doing now, before, in the future. I just, um, I'm so happy that we shared this time together. I think you're awesome. And I am so touched that you listened to me. And um, I really appreciate the chance to get to share. Of course, thank you for sharing. I appreciate it so much. Thanks, Dr. Thanks, TJ. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. To view additional content, Follow E's podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe and leave comments on the episode wherever this podcast can be found. See you next week.